Kapu with me, Noreen Mir, on this Monday afternoon. So let's turn to our first guest and topic of today. In the next 15 minutes or so, we're talking about supporting ethnic minority students and also ethnic minority education here in Hong Kong. And I'm delighted to be joined this afternoon by Dr. Carlos Soto, a lecturer from the Academic Unit of Social Contexts and Policies of Education from the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong. Uh, welcome to the program, Carlos, and thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really happy to be here. Great. So uh, before we, we get started, can you perhaps give us a little bit of a background uh, to this? I mean, typically, uh, what are some of the education options for, for our ethnic minority children in Hong Kong? Sure. I mean, there's two ways to, to look at that. And so the first way is to look at just the broad picture of uh, schooling and education generally in Hong Kong, and then to look then more closely at the specific issues or concerns or opportunities for ethnic minority students. Um, now, when we talk about ethnic minority students, that is it's such a huge broad category of who's an ethnic minority in Hong Kong. Um, I'm originally from Central America, so I'm in, in uh, I'm an ethnic minority person in the sense that I am classified as, as non-Chinese. Um, people of, of Western European, uh, North American backgrounds from Canada, UK, Australia, they're also in a sense ethnic minority students. Um, but typically what we're talking about uh, is students of South Asian descent. Uh, and, and typically, we're also talking about mostly students that are from working class um, families. So I think that's that's important to sort of differentiate from the beginning. Now, in terms of the, the broader system, the Hong Kong education system has gone through this huge transformation in the past um, few decades that follows like the global trend of, of massifying higher education. So there's certainly... Uh, much more opportunities for students to enter publicly funded universities, uh, associate's degree programs, vocational education, uh, as well as more private programs in Hong Kong. So those um, resources are, are then available to, to everyone in Hong Kong um, to some, some extent. So sort of they face that, this, this uh, education system that has become more massified at the university level, um, but at the same time has become much more competitive. So, you know, more and more young people in Hong Kong are, are competing not just for university places in Hong Kong, but for university places abroad at, at very competitive universities um, throughout the world. And so they, they are part of, of that picture of we have greater opportunities, but at the same time, greater competition. And then that also means, I think, something a lot of families are familiar with in Hong Kong. You need more resources that are provided by the families in order to be able to compete in this program. So that might mean tutorials for school subjects, tutorials for non-school subjects, extracurricular activities. Um, it really takes a lot. And you've got uh, to start them young as well, you know, tutoring and, and different violin lessons, taekwondo and everything to make sure they get into the right kindergarten and then primary schools and then secondary schools. And then you might be able to get a spot at a university. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, we... We definitely see that, um, you know, uh, those resources accumulate in, in certain schools and then those schools are more sought after by, by certain parents for sure. Uh, and so then, you know, minority is that around language and not just Cantonese language, uh, but certainly also English language, Putonhua. Um, but we're also really talking about you can't separate uh, being a, a um, ethnic minority uh, f 
for, for most of these families for also being working class families. And so that means that um, economically also they're not going to have access to the same kinds of, of resources for tutorials, for, um, for activities. They're not necessarily going to have uh, one or two parents at home to sort of keep track on them throughout the day or they won't have a, a domestic helper to make sure they get from one place to, um, to another. And so um, what the research has said uh, now for well over a couple of decades in, in Hong Kong is that um, certainly issues of language and beyond just Cantonese and Putonghua are, are there. Uh, but it's, you cannot say that the major problem is that uh, they're failing at Cantonese language, that there's, there's a whole um, sort of network backstory, of, yes. of, of backstories that, that have to do with people as individuals, people as belonging to communities, uh, people's social class, economic class um, status. Yes. Uh, so the, the policy and the funding has tended to focus more on um, Chinese language um, without fully addressing um, all the social and cultural and economic issues. For, for, for the purpose of, of this discussion, we're really mainly focusing on, like you said earlier, um, ethnic minorities of, of a more grassroots, a lower social, uh, economic, um, financial background. So uh, ethnic minorities from maybe Pakistan, India, uh, Nepal, B- Bangladesh. Typically, their schooling options are going to the local stream and local school education. Um, what sorts of resources uh, have been allocated to them? Um, from my understanding, I think it was since 2014, um, ethnic minority children in Hong Kong can learn Chinese as a second, can learn Cantonese as a second language. Um, aren't schools supposed to also have an additional funding and more resources to help these children? Yeah, that, that funding um, exists, and, and there are resources to, to do that. So typically what you see now is a lot of students pursuing the GCSE Chinese-level exam. Um, now, that's a, it's a very um, lower-level uh, standard of, of Chinese, so it's basically like a P3 level. Um, and so, you know, s- students oftentimes, they don't progress uh, beyond that, and so that, that can impact them when they apply to, it, to universities. Um, because the universities may not see that as very as a very competitive standard, or it can also impact them in terms of, of working um, opportunities. Now, what that kind of hides, though, is, is the fact that um, we're not seeing enough uh, of these students actually entering the pipeline to be competitive for university. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really has to do a, a little bit more in terms of language with the fact that they're studying uh, mostly still in English medium of instruction um, schools or, or programs, so that... Um, you know, to say that you can speak English um, doesn't tell us about the the level of English, the proficiency of your reading or your writing or your critical thinking in English. Um, it doesn't tell us if you're building up the academic English skills that you would need to progress further into studies. And so what, what I and a lot of my colleagues who are um, classroom teachers have found is that uh, students really struggle in subjects like liberal studies, um, and, and math or, or physics, and oftentimes that comes down to struggles that they're facing in English. Because um, they're so, not understanding, because, because perhaps English isn't a language they speak at home uh, typically. Maybe they speak in um, their mother tongue, which may not be English or Cantonese. Yeah, so it's, it's, yes. a, huge, it's a huge language leap. So, for example, you know, at, at my home, um, we speak maybe, I would say, 75% um, English. We have bits of of, of course, Cantonese, little bits of Putonghua, little bits of, of Spanish. But when I speak to, to my own son um, in English, I 
tend to use actually pretty fancy language a lot. And so he's from a very young age starting to pick up this kind of more mature vocabulary that then uh, for him um, gets reinforced in, in, in school uh, because it's an international school setting. And so uh, a lot of students from working class minority communities also don't have that same kind of Access English. To English yes. uh, yeah. So what I, uh, what I was finding myself as, as a teacher as I work with students beginning in uh, secondary one and, and help them progress, uh, some of them on to university, um, was that they were lagging several years behind in terms of their English reading levels. And several so you, years behind. Several wow. years behind, yeah. So even even the, the top students might be uh, one or even two grade levels behind in terms of English reading comprehension. Wow. Um, and that's tough when you have to, I think, a lot of students in Hong Kong can, can relate to this, no matter their, their class background, is that we're juggling a lot of language uh, demands in Hong Kong. Absolutely. I mean, let, let's go back to a point that you made earlier, Carlos, and is that um, a lot of ethnic minorities' children, their, their Chinese, their Cantonese proficiency is equivalent to around primary three. I mean, why is that? Um, is it because they are? Is it because they're learning Ch- Cantonese or Chinese as a second language? Should we have scrapped that? Should they have? Should they really learn it um, in the more mainstream method and and not set them in a, in a different category in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's um, it varies for different students. Um, so you have some students that maybe study um, in a. Um, Chinese medium of instruction in primary school. And so then actually their spoken Cantonese and their written Cantonese might be much better. Uh, but what happens is then they start to struggle with the demands of it when they get into secondary school. Um, you know, you or some of your listeners might be familiar that uh, in Hong Kong, the Chinese uh, BSE exam is, is considered the dream killer. <laughs> it's a really tough exam for for anyone. It's very hard, even if you are, you know, of a pure Chinese background with, you know, tutoring and all. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I definitely knew students that they were coming from uh, studying in Chinese in their primary years, and then uh, they would struggle once they got in, into secondary. And again, the, the, the language demands really changed when students get to secondary school, and they're dealing with very complicated textbooks. Um, you know, for some students is that um, there just hasn't been a lot of time to develop Chinese as a second language curriculum um, and and resources. I mean, if if we look at let's say Putonhua language learning, you have all kinds of brilliant apps and leveled uh, readers um, and conferences for teachers to come together and share resources. Um, so the, that sort of maturity um, doesn't exist, and and you know some of that has to do with. Uh, the Hong Kong education system is very market oriented, and again, this is—it's it's another sort of global um, global trend. And there's not much of a, a market to develop uh, sort of Cantonese second language resources in the way that there is to develop English language resources, Putonhua um, language um, resources. Yeah, um, I'm looking at a, a survey sort of commissioned by the Equal Opportunities Commission earlier in the year, and it's precisely, it echoes your point, it shows that 93% of primary school 
principals said they had difficulty employing staff with the relevant skills to teach Chinese as a second language because many of them, they teach it as a first language. So it actually makes it almost more challenging to, to teach it as a second language. And on top of that, three out of five teachers are actually not confident in teaching Chinese to ethnic minority students, um, which, to be honest, three out of five teachers not being confident. It's a bit worrying for the children in, in this system. Um, how do we uh, help teachers regain that confidence? Is it a matter of sort of um, adding more diversity and, and exposing teachers to, to just a more uh, diverse, more, more uh, different students in the first place? Yeah, I think I think that's a big piece of it. I mean, I think um, in in our faculty, we do have a lot of students that that come from um, like slightly more closed environments where they've you know they've been at a secondary for six years, uh, and then they come into uh, a university program, and that's it, it forms its its own little bubble, and so they they haven't sort of ex- experienced enough sort of difference. That challenges that they have to deal with with somebody of a different background or a different belief or a different social class. And so certainly universities are trying to do more of that to really expose students to, to difference and uh, so to helping them not just to see difference as, as a problem or, or seeing other people as having a deficit that has to be dealt with, but really seeing what's there in terms of, um, of cultural richness. Now, another issue too, though, is um, you know, it's not just an issue of working with uh, sort of minority students. There's also larger issues in, in the system that need to be addressed. So we still know that in Hong Kong, um, the issue of younger teachers coming into um, contract work is, is very prevalent. And so in the past few years, there's been some increase uh, in the number of permanent posts made available. But you really still have, a, especially a lot of younger teachers that are, are moving around from year to year uh, from one school to another. And so you might have new teachers or, or slightly more experienced teachers that come into a new environment of working with, um, it might be minority students or students with special educational needs, and they develop a, a little bit of a confidence in it, um, and they develop themselves in terms of their knowledge, but then they have to move to another school. They have to find a position um, somewhere else. And so, um, you know, part of, of building competent, uh, confident teachers is giving them that kind of supportive um, environment in which they can develop themselves with some stability. Yeah, um, I know this is definitely a, an area of your interest, and you specialize in, in this area. Um, and I think, uh, are you quite optimistic, or, or do you think these students are sort of being set up to fail in a way because there is no sort of um, way for them to mainstream back into mainstream Chinese? So it presents a lot of different problems with job opportunities in Hong Kong because a lot of the times Hong Kong you know, it is their home. So if they're not doing well in the schooling system, they can't progress into university or perhaps uh, get a decent job or perhaps get any jobs at all if, if their language proficiency in Chinese is only of a primary three level. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm confident in the sense that the, the pipeline is increasing. Um, and so now there was, uh, you know, if you went back 10 years ago, you wouldn't have a lot of university instructors or, um, or people at, working in vocational environments who had been exposed to minority students. And we're seeing more and more. And so then they start to uh, also fig- ask themselves questions like, okay, what do I need to figure out to serve this new population? And, and there's certainly a lot of NGOs that are, uh, not a lot, but there are NGOs that are working on these, on these sorts of issues. Uh, government officials that are working on 
on these issues, very dedicated educators. So I think um, the more that those people can sustain their work, um, the sort of more optimistic that, that I, I am. Now, part, again, part of the issue is like we have this very market-based system in Hong Kong where even, even NGOs, um, can, they can receive, there's a lot of, there's so much money in Hong Kong, but that money is, is often uh, sort of short-term. Yeah, okay. yeah, not all, yeah, a lot of money sits unused. And then there's money that you get for one year or two years or three years tops or to do this project or, or to do that project. And so um, we need community workers, we need educators who can themselves become professionalized in, in doing this work of serving diverse communities. And it's hard to sort of build up that professional workforce also um, when, when we don't have a stability of, of funding, mm-hmm. um, when we have to sort of compete for, for grants um, sort of all, all the time or every year or every two, three years. So um, optimistic, but recognizing that changes need to be made um, sort of structurally also, and, and we need to pay attention to, to these kinds of, of issues um, and really sort of understand what it is that um, we need to advocate for. Um, and again, there's a lot of young people that are learning to do this kind of, of work. Um, so I do have a little bit of optimism in it. The future is bright. I, I know you work a lot with uh, educators and, and teachers. What about uh, increasing sort of cultural diversity and understanding with students in, in schools? Um, and also, you know, broader sense, uh, citizens in Hong Kong. The trouble is we're not being exposed to a lot of times the, um, we, uh, students socialize, like you said, within their own bubbles. So they don't really socialize with ethnic minority students, even if they're at the same school. Yeah, that's I mean, that's that's certainly true. I, I worked um, in schools here that were about 50 percent um, Chinese, 50 percent non-Chinese. And there was very little mixing of those of those two bubbles within the same school. Um, you know, oftentimes, like, it's it's hard to force those kinds of, of, of things. Uh, they happen more in sort of more informal settings a lot of the time, like, for example, um, within a basketball team. Um, I remember there's, um, there's a, uh, a man in Hong Kong who runs a, a rock school program, Matt. Um, oh, he's going to kill me for not remembering his last name. Um, but uh, we uh, had a bunch of our students from Nepalese backgrounds join this program, and he was bringing in students also from different backgrounds, different international schools. And with, within these kinds of settings, um, you know, students from very diverse, not just ethnic backgrounds, but also social class backgrounds and interest backgrounds could come together um, around, around music. And so I think it's important to find those things that young people are interested in um, and bring them together around those particular um, interest. Now, that also raises this issue, though, is that I think one important re- reason that there isn't enough mixing is that what is the lingua franca? What is What are the language resources that people can use? And um, when you have students in a working class school, um, that means that uh, typically that the Chinese students are going to be very weak in, in English. And so it's not just that this group of students here you know, is having trouble with Cantonese or, or Chinese language, but you also have this other very large group of students that is having trouble with, with English. And so that's not used as a resource um, to bring students um, together also. So we, we really need to look sort of more broadly at w- what are the different things that are sort of separating us um, or not allowing us to come together. Um, I think, the, of course, the issue of identity is, is a little bit complicated in, in Hong Kong, but in terms of formal curriculum, you know, we really, I think, do need to spend more time sort of learning about each other and learning about 
um, the, the different cultural backgrounds and histories that, that people have brought to Hong Kong, whether they bought it from South Asia or the West or, or mainland China, we really need to sort of trace back to be able to find a lot of commonalities. Um, I think uh, one of the things that I try to expose my university students to is that Hong Kong has always been multilingual. Um, ever since the, the mid-19th century, many different named languages have been spoken in, in Hong Kong. Um, and so, though in the last few decades, Cantonese became really the, the prominent um, social language, we've always been very diverse, we've always been um, multilingual. Uh, and we need to look at, at, you know, oftentimes when we talk about making something more diverse, we talk about ethnicity or race because those things are more visible to exactly. us. But, you know, our, our, our class backgrounds are important, um, our sexuality, uh, gender expression, abilities and disabilities, our individual interests, um, our sort of cognitive abilities, um, our religions, all those things are, are part of that sort of patchwork of diversity. Well, Carlos, we'll have to leave it at here. There's still so much uh, we could have discussed, and I look forward to having you back. I've also posted a link of your work and your book as well on our Facebook page, uh, Noreen Mayer on RTHK Radio 3, and I look forward to uh, inviting you back uh, again uh, next time. Uh, meanwhile, thank you so much to Dr. Carlos Soto, a lecturer from the Academic Unit of Social Contexts and Policies of Education from the Faculty of Education at the University of Hong Kong, and I look forward to chatting to you next time. Thank you very much indeed. Thanks.